Hello, it's 1st of June 2019 and this is episode 104 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star's news, analysis and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? Good. Um, I've listened to Jedi Lost twice now. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I'm an overachiever. <laughs> um, it's also just because my MP3 player was out of battery and I needed something to listen to on a very long walk. And I was like, I'll finish Jedi Lost again. Um, <laughs> so I did. Um, so that was fun. And I'm also now the proud owner of both variants of the Vanity Fair Star Wars issue. And they're very, very beautiful. So I'm very satisfied. Yeah, it's funny seeing pictures of them as people are posting them online because it's like, obviously, I know what the covers look like, but then you see a picture of the actual magazine and it's like, oh, it's still so beautiful. It really, really is. Like, trust me, Kirsty, I'm holding them in my hands right now as I talk to you. <laughs> and it's great. I'll tell you what, though, something perhaps a bit controversial. I think the Ray cover might be my favourite. I think they're both wonderful and lovely, and you obviously need to own, own both to be the proper capitalist slave that we all are but yeah there's just something particularly nice about the composition of the ray cover and i love her expression yeah i think it's her expression she looks longing and hopeful exactly wistful yeah um no it's very nice yeah i'm gonna have to go on a hunt later and see if i can find them out there in the wild yeah i wish you luck in your venture (laughs) kirsty thanks what have you been up to star wars wise if anything uh, Jedi Lost as well. I've mm-hmm. only managed to listen to it one time. I've really enjoyed it, but I kind mm-hmm. of wish I had had time. I did have time. I guess I could have planned it a bit better um, <laughs> to listen to it twice like you did, because then I'd have been able to retain more of it. Um, I'm sure I've said before, I'm new to audiobooks, and it's just something about it that makes it harder for my brain to process and retain the information. Mm-hmm. So it's like fun in a different way from reading, but... Um, yeah, I'll be interested to see how much I can actually recall in the discussion later. <laughs> yeah, there will be an interesting memory test because even though it, I've listened to it twice now, there are still things that I haven't really taken in properly, you know, and there's certain developments where I'm like, I still don't don't quite understand how that happened because, yeah, there's just something odd about listening to an audio drama. I've heard rumours that they are going to be publishing a print version in the autumn, so if that happens, I think I'll definitely pick it up because I think then I will definitely, definitely be able to follow what happens. And yeah, I want to be able to do that. Yeah, as I was listening to it, it kind of reminded me of like listening to The Archers when I went around my grand's house as a kid. And like radio dramas are really great. You know, you get all these different voices. Everyone's very talented. It's dynamic, but also it's kind of on in the background as you're doing other stuff. Yeah. And I had to keep reminding myself, wait, this is the thing I'm supposed to be paying primary attention to, not the chores that I'm doing or like, you know, anything else that's going on. Yeah. So sometimes I had to like go back and listen to a section again. Yeah. No, so I was pretty much always multitasking while listening to it. Like I'd be just browsing the internet on my phone, for example, or taking pictures of random stuff just because. And yeah, I got very distracted both times. But it like it's still really good and obviously we will get into it. But yeah, it's just a challenge and a different way of consuming something. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just as a heads up to people, there will not be a show next week because it's my birthday. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be in another country. 
So, yeah, you'll have to wait just that bit longer, I'm afraid. You're not going to say where you're going. It's just mystery country. <laughs> okay, I like I feel <laughs> this shocking secret. I'm going to Budapest. So, Woo-hoo. yeah, so that'll be fun. I've never been before, but it looks beautiful. So, I'm very excited. And I know they're filming June there. And yeah, my dream is to try and spot some of the actors just randomly. That almost certainly won't happen, but it would be amazing because I love that cast. And Oscar Isaac is in the cast. Yeah, and Jason Momoa. I wish you luck in bumping into them both. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that'd be such a dream. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so keep your fingers and toes crossed for me. The main thing that's happened this week is that Galaxy's Edge, the new Star Wars land at Disneyland, has opened and that's obviously very exciting if you can go to the park and it's also exciting to see that people are excited but you also have to deal with the festering resentment that comes in these situations when you watch all these other people having their fun that no um like i'm genuinely happy for people but yeah we'll start off with um they had a bunch of star wars luminaries in attendance um, specifically, they had George Lucas, Billy Dee Williams, Mark Hamill, Bob Iger, and Harrison Ford. Um, so yeah, they had all the big hitters from the original trilogy that are still with us, essentially. Um, and yeah, it was a very nice, amiable-looking gathering. And I think I saw that Harrison gave a really sweet tribute to Peter Mayhew. Is that right, Kirsty? Yeah, I didn't see the video, but apparently they were doing a bit of a skit with the Falcon, like trying to get it to work. And he was like, Peter, this one's for you. Oh, that's lovely. I'm surprised that they didn't have Kathleen Kennedy on stage there, because she was there. Yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I know Billy Dee's there, but otherwise it's kind of like, oh, here's a bunch of old white dudes. If you remove whites, then it's still accurate. It's a bunch yeah. of old dudes. Well, yeah. and there's, you know, there's, it's not like there's anything particularly wrong with that. I love that George Lucas was there in his yes. iconic outfit. And um, his iconic, like, depressed expression. <laughs> George doesn't give a fuck, okay? He doesn't. No, he really doesn't. But at least he's there. Yeah, there were rumours of younger cast members like Daisy and John being around, but we haven't seen photos, so it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Um... But yeah, I, I love that Harrison showed up too, to be honest. So Yeah, like Harrison, obviously I know he's old enough to be my granddad, but he still looks mighty fine. He really does. Like, it's very impressive. He's a good looking man. Yeah, no, he's super sexy at all ages. I had the very fun and intriguing task of searching for Bob Iger Romantic on Twitter. Because... <laughs> He gave an interesting quote about um, the original Star Wars and what that film represented upon its release. And he said it was a unique mix of science fiction, romantic fantasy and grand adventure. And he was mainly talking about the original Star Wars film. But it's nice that he chose to encapsulate that film in those terms because it's helpful to remind everyone. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the original Star Wars is definitely romantic and epic and grand, mm-hmm. hope, hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. There's something really special about it. And that's why we're still talking about it today. Exactly. So since we can't actually be at Galaxy's Edge, um, we are going to experience it through the magic of photography um, because the Guardian has a good range of photos from the launch. Um <laughs> 
the first photo shows like a massive throng of people gathered like in the park which again it's completely expected it's going to be busy it's launch day of course it is and it's probably going to be perpetually busy let's face it for obvious reasons um but yeah that just speaks highly to my introversion and anxiety and i'm just like (laughs) too much oh really i don't think it actually looks that bad by opening theme park standards yeah it it makes me feel pretty bad like just looking at that picture so it's probably good that i wasn't there oh Um, you made it through star wars celebration i i did yeah i could probably do it it's probably the thought of it is probably worse than the actual reality of being there (laughs) and the reality of being there would also have really awesome parts so yeah exactly exactly my dream would be to go to this place when it's just absolutely empty but obviously that's not going to happen so yeah um then they've then the other photos are all very good because they look much more quiet and i think that's because it's a press day so there's only a minimal amount of people in the park Mm -hmm. um and yeah it probably does not reflect how it'll actually be in normal practice but again that's fine um and yeah, the next one is the Falcon. It looks incredible and completely realistic to the films. And yeah, I totally understand why people would be psyched to go there, basically. Yeah, I've seen tweets from people talking about how they burst into tears when they saw it. Because it's like actually seeing the Millennium Falcon in person. You don't, you don't think you'll ever see that, right? <laughs> like the actual scale of it. Exactly. It's really magical. And I do love how they went for like a completely immersive take with the park. It's not meant to be like a mishmash of all the different eras and stuff. It's not trying to cover all those bases. It's just trying to represent the Star Wars world at a particular point in time. And so while it does have something like super iconic and part of that nostalgic era of the original trilogy, like the Millennium Falcon, it does 100% have a place given the story they're telling with the park. So it's very cool. Hmm. I'm really interested to see how they're going to evolve the timeline because it is supposed to be like dynamic, right? Yeah. Um, Because at the moment it's starting out, which actually doesn't quite make sense to me given the choices of things like Kylo's costume. But apparently it's supposed to be between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, But Kylo's walking around in his The Force Awakens outfit. So yeah, things aren't super consistent, but uh, whatever. Yeah, no, that bothered me about Kylo's costume too, because I love the Force Awakens outfit, but I am kind of like a stickler for these things, and I'm like, but he put that in the trash. Like, he has a totally different outfit after The Last Jedi. I guess the dilemma for The Last Jedi is that he ends it and he's smashed his mask, and they haven't yet reforged it like we see in the trailer for Nine. Yeah, And they're that's probably true. not going to easily find someone who looks enough like Adam for an unmasked Kylo. Exactly, yeah. I've never really seen anyone else who's like a good dead ringer for him. But yeah, like you, I'm very curious to see where they take the park and how they evolve it because, yeah, I think the potential is limitless. And I do think as like the months proceed and we get towards the launch of the Rise of the Resistance ride, I think then we'll start seeing even stronger theming with the sequel trilogy stuff. And like I think we'll see like Ray start to dress in clothing that more resembles what she's wearing in The Rise of Skywalker. And the same for Kylo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be cool to see. Exactly. I'm just looking uh, through the photos, there's such a crazy attention I mean, this is what Disney's known for. Mm-hmm. But they've really gone all out of like the level of detail and everything. 
Oh yeah, they have. Like in the like Den of Antiquities, like the mounted heads of all the different creatures. They look like actual creatures. It's quite incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, this droid depot. You can build your own droid. I saw a couple of those on Twitter as well. Yes, that's amazing. That would be pretty cool to build your own BB unit. Yeah, it looks so exciting. And yeah, I know they also have the Make Your Own Lightsaber Workshop, which is also equally incredible. Mm-hmm. And like apparently there's a moment where everyone as one ignites their lightsabers and again that was apparently another weepy moment where people were just like it's too much they also have a bar for um alcoholic drinks which i believe is called ogos cantina something like that and yeah it looks absolutely amazing and there are meant to be these really cool animatronics in there as well including a dj um and I love animatronics because Labyrinth is like my first fandom love and the animatronic creatures in that like were quite pioneering and incredible. So yeah, I love to see anything that takes that technology further, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very impressive. I find them a bit uncanny valley. Like it's kind of creepy, but I think that's part of the intent. So, And yeah, it gives them so much freedom to represent these creatures that... To have someone actually suit up and get into that costume, it would just be completely impractical, I presume. So animatronics make more sense for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then perhaps the most important question, Kirsty, would you have the blue milk or the green milk? Um, what are the different flavours again? That's a good question. I can't remember. <laughs> I think one of them is supposed to be vegan. Maybe the blue one? Yeah, I kind of think they're both vegan. Oh, okay. I think one of them is maybe sweeter than the other. I think the blue one might be sweeter. I'd probably try that one, but yeah. I'd like to try both. So if you're in Disneyland for more than one day, mm-hmm. go all out. Have two Star Wars milks. Why not? Basically, it just all looks incredible. And I also love how they've split the park into like separate areas. So some of them are like resistance influence and some of them are first order influence. And you can feel like a tangible difference between them depending on who's in control of each sector and yeah it's just that wild attention to detail that's amazing yeah i saw a video of vi Maradi walking around i saw actually the actress has a twitter profile and she said she's kind of just there for the launch and then vi will still be like a character as in like a presence within the narrative mm-hmm. but she won't be like a regular fixture walking around so i'm interested to see how that story evolves as well Yeah. That's kind of a shame, but I understand it because in terms of the characters that people would most want to see and interact with, they probably are going to go for people like Rey and Kylo, the ones that people know already. Like Vi is a wonderful character, but she's really like an Easter egg for the people who are on the more hardcore side of the spectrum. I guess. I think it's probably more likely that when people go, they, they'll like read the tie-in novel, maybe, that, that obviously centres around Vi, the Black Spire one. Mm. Um, and I saw some confusion with like the kind of synopsis of where Rey and Kylo are at, like to explain why they're on Batu, mm. um, because Kylo's looking for a resistance spy, and I think people quite reasonably assumed that that must mean that he's looking for Rey, but I don't actually think that's the case. I think he's looking for Vi. Yeah, no, it's all a little bit ambiguous at the moment, and yeah, again, this will fit into the whole evolution of the park thing, I reckon. It's- they will presumably clarify some of this stuff in the books that emerge. Mm. Um, so yeah, like I've seen like mixed messages on 
what Kylo is doing there, basically. It's not realistic at all, because if it were realistic, then Kylo would just be spending months and months on Batu, narrowly missing Rey. Yeah, they're both right there. Like, I, <laughs> I, I saw another video that they were both in, but they were kind of, like, walking different ways, but, like, could have easily bumped into each other. <laughs> It's like, what happens if the actors do bump into each other? Do they just start having a lightsaber duel? <laughs> oh my god, I would love to see that. I, I think if I were there and that happened, I would be that person to like grab Kylo or to at least try and grab his attention. And be like, look, there she is, there she is. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Huh? 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 Um, and it would probably just be really awkward and embarrassing. So mm. yeah, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> Yeah, they've got things, they run things really tightly at Disneyland to like maintain that immersive feel. So you, like you never see two people dressed up as the same character in the same space. Right, yeah. Um, so maybe they've got a system so that Ray and Kylo never actually bump into each other. I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, I think that's really smart and sensible if they do aim for that because yeah, otherwise it would be a bit like, come on. But I'm not going to expect too much from them in that regard because... Yeah, as a, they've got limited space in which to wander and yeah, you've got to make certain allowances when you're dealing with a theme park, basically. <laughs> like, it'd be much worse if it were actually the Rise of Skywalker and they're showing like a marketplace and like Rain Kylo were just wandering through it, both completely oblivious to each other. <laughs> then that would be a problem. Yeah. Although I guess you could also explain why they're ignoring each other because they're not on the best of terms right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here, it would just be very awkward though, wouldn't it? Like, yeah, Aw. but in a funny way. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> okay, cool. The next thing we want to talk about in news is that a new quote has emerged from Ryan Johnson where he discusses the intent behind the famous hut scene in The Last Jedi. So yeah, this was discovered by the Tumblr user Stressed Raylo. So well done to you for digging it out. It's a great find. Um, and it looks like it's from an interview that Ryan Johnson gave to a French magazine called Classica in April. And yeah, so the magazine is French. So the relevant part of the interview has been translated. And basically it's Ryan talking about his work and relationship with John Williams on The Last Jedi. So yeah, would you care to read out the translation, Kirsty? Sure. I disagreed with John twice regarding the score. For example, there's a scene where Kylo Ren and Rey touch hands before they're interrupted by Luke Skywalker. When John wrote the score, he was very protective of Rey's character, exactly as Luke is. Kylo was menacing, musically speaking. It's a valid point of view, but I didn't think of the scene like that. I wanted us to stay with the young woman's point of view. I wanted us to believe in this romance. John accepted to rewrite the score for that scene differently. He is the most charming man in the universe. For someone who wrote many masterpieces, he is extraordinarily humble. Yeah, no, it's a really wonderful quote. And it's, again, Ryan Johnson hasn't been subtle about his intentions of the Ray and Kylo stuff and how he meant it to be read. But this is definitely up there with among the most, yeah, I'm not bullshitting around anymore. I'm just saying it like it is in terms of just flat out referring to it as a romance, um, which yeah it's nice sweet vindication and all that and yeah it's also really cute to see john williams basically being like the real life luke skywalker in relation to daisy's ray well that's why i really loved this quote because it explores the fact that this scene does have various perspectives and they're all valid so 
you know, there are a lot of fans out there who understandably are skeptical and wary of Kylo and how he feels about Rey and whether he wants to use... Because that's... It's like woven into the story. That's that's part of it. That yeah. we're watching this unfold through Rey's eyes, but there are also other characters like Luke who are kind of a proxy for various audience members. Yeah. So it's it's not to invalidate those readings. And it's it's really great to see that John Williams had that too and Ryan had to explain actually we're coming at this from Ray's perspective and that's really important to the story that I'm showing is you know a romance told through the female gaze yeah exactly which yeah underlines why there are so many reasons to be thankful to Ryan Johnson in terms of his priorities with the storytelling and the specific perspective he chose to center on with his film because yeah it can't be taken for granted how rare and wonderful it is what he did basically and yeah i'm so grateful yeah it's interesting to see because you're right they have had to be quite careful in terms of how they talk about it because of course the way the last jedi ends off you you're not quite sure what's going to happen with these characters and that's the point right so it's it's a romance in that that's part of the story being told but it doesn't they don't want to like lay it out on a platter that oh there's going to be a happy ending it's all going to work out no worries because <laughs> that's the meat of the next movie and it's also obviously tied into the the villain's redemption or potential redemption um so yeah it's interesting to see the various ways they talk about it and sometimes it's put more elo- eloquently than others <laughs> i'll just say that no totally and i also like that it's like so much about respecting like ray's experience of that encounter with kylo because yeah some people have framed that scene as like a cautionary tale and this shows how you shouldn't have trusted him and all that sort of stuff um and i think by clarifying his intentions like this and i think it was perfectly transparent in the film itself but some people obviously have different takes it's just clarifying that no we're meant to be with ray and experiencing that encounter exactly as she experiences it so yeah i found that quite beautiful yeah so you can go back and listen to the last jedi you can go back and watch this scene with like just the score right Mm -hmm. i don't feel like i even needed to do that to be honest like when i posted on twitter i had some listeners listeners of ours saying they were planning on doing that um but i i can hear the music from that scene so vividly in my head because it really does have this journey to it that ryan's talking about here that actually the menacing part comes in when luke interrupts yep so at the beginning it has this like hopeful tentative like almost nervous quality as their hands are coming towards each other and then the force beam swells and then it turns as you can sense luke coming in and breaking up the party yeah exactly which underlines what a great collaborator john williams is because whatever he originally created musically for that scene he clearly fully respected and tuned into what ryan intended and created beautiful music that was completely appropriate and fully conveyed his intent so yeah good job everyone it's very yeah the only thing that i wish was also included here was the second example of him disagreeing with john Mm, yeah that would have been super interesting Maybe we'll hear about that another time. Yeah. So I'm guessing it was also something quite specific because this is a very specific moment. So then we will move on to our discussion of Jedi Lost, um, which I think is properly called Dooku colon Jedi Lost. But Dooku is kind of a silly name. 
<laughs> I don't like saying it, but we're going to have to get really used to saying it because it's going to come up a lot. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's like almost the first thing for us to tackle because I didn't have any expectations for the story. I was like, okay, I'm going in, hope- hopefully it'll be entertaining, you know. Mm-hmm. Dooku's an intriguing character in the prequels, but you get almost so... And he's in the Clone Wars too, of course. Um, but in that respect, I'm almost more interested in his relationship in terms of how he affects Asajj Ventress's journey as mm-hmm. opposed to him himself. Yes. I was like, at least we'll find out Dooku's first name finally. <laughs> oh, little did you <laughs> and know. And I guess we did in the... Apparently it's his first name, Dooku. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm so surprised by that, but I just find it really funny, and I feel like I'm I'm gonna find that an extra humorous element when I go back and watch the prequels again because there's just something so informal about people going Dooku. <laughs> it could have been worse. It could have been his first name and his surname. He could have been called Dooku Dooku. Um, so that would have been even worse. But yeah, it's pretty grim. Like, if I were him, I'd just by go by Count. I'd say, do not call me Dooku. Just say Count. <laughs> In that amazing Christopher Lee voice. Um, so yeah, to give people some context, Kirsty, would you mind reading out the synopsis of the audiobook? Sure. Darth Tyrannus, Count of Sereno, leader of the Separatists, a red sabre unsheathed in the dark. But who was he before he became the right hand of the Sith? As Dooku courts a new apprentice, the hidden truth of the Sith Lord's past become, begins to come to light. Dooku's life began as one privilege-born within the stony walls of his family's estate, orbited by the funeral moon where the bones of his ancestors lie interred. But soon his Jedi abilities are recognised, and he is taken from home to be trained in the ways of the Force by the legendary Master Yoda. As he hones his power, Dooku rises through the ranks, befriending fellow Jedi Sifo Dyas and taking a Padawan of his own, promising Qui-Gon Jinn, and tries to forget the life that he once led. But he finds himself drawn by a strange fascination with the Jedi Master Lena Castana, and the mission she undertakes for the Order, finding and studying ancient relics of the Sith in preparation for the eventual return of the deadliest enemies the Jedi have ever faced. Caught between the world of the Jedi, the ancient responsibilities of his lost home, and the alluring power of the relics, Zuku struggles to stay in the light, even as the darkness begins to fall. Dun dun dun. It's very dramatic, but I felt like the book, well, the audiobook, sorry. It was very dramatic, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's like non-stop action. Yeah, the acting was very intense. Uh, the use of the music. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, it's safe to say it was ripe with melodrama. It was kind of like an episode of Coronation Street. That, <laughs> like one of the episodes around Christmas where like everyone like realises they're having affairs. There's like secret babies there's like dysfunction like everywhere you look it it was kind of like that basically like some sort of crazy soap opera and it's very fitting we've obviously had many reinforcements of the fact that styles is a soap opera before this so yeah it's not a surprise but yeah i could swear jedi lost took it to the next level but this is what you'd want from like a prequel era story because the prequel jedi are hot messes right like yeah there's a lot of dysfunction a lot of denial um i was even surprised just to see that they were even acknowledging the future return of the sith because by the time you get to the phantom menace and not beyond it's like they're kind of in denial about it yeah so the fact that they were preparing for that was kind of a big deal yeah although i do feel like that was sort of like an outline thing it was like costana specifically 
like like bigging that up is like we need to do this we need to do this and Yoda being like nah we don't need to bother it's fine we all know how that turned out so um yeah <laughs> who's got egg on their face now Yoda huh huh oh yeah so I was saying to you earlier this did not endear me to Yoda anymore <laughs> like, no he's a complete asshole he basically. is like I my feelings towards Yoda have softened considerably since The Last Jedi because I love his scene with Luke so much but it reminded me of how insufferable Yoda is in the prequels. Yeah. And it's hard to get away from that. It's like, oh my god, you're such an ass. <laughs> yeah. No, he's a complete jerk, basically. And there's no getting around it. We'll go more deeply into the different aspects of the audiobook. But first of all, I thought it would be helpful to talk about the experience of actually listening to a Star Wars audiobook. Because I think I'm right in saying that this was the first one for both of us. So we've obviously both read other Star Wars books, but just listening to something, that's a very different experience. So how did you find it, Kirsty? I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Are you listening to Dark Disciple now? I am, yes. Is it just read by one person? Yes, it is. It's Mark okay. Thompson, but he's doing all the voices and he does a very good job of differentiating between them. Oh, okay. So, because I... It, it makes me want to listen to more of them, but it, I thought it might be a good idea to listen to one where I've already read the book, so I at least have the context and can vaguely remember things, so it's not... For some reason, I find it really difficult to follow the story, so yeah. if it's something that I already am familiar with, I think that would be okay. Yeah. In that case, the Dark Disciple one would be a great bet, because it's very okay. enjoyable, and then it would prime us to do a spotlight on it, so that could work very well. So yeah, it's like... it's made me feel like that's something that I, I would want to look into more whereas beforehand I was like okay I guess I'll give it a go but I really wish there was a print version yeah I'm much less skeptical now yeah no I'm really glad I listened to it it was very enjoyable I do still think that I'd quite like to read a print version because yeah it's much harder to stay focused when you're listening to something instead of having it on the page in front of you um and I feel like I still don't fully understand exactly how some elements of the plot transpired and what happened to certain characters. And I also had a problem where I mixed up characters and that sort of thing. That can happen with a print novel as well. So it's not necessarily problems that are, that are unique to an audio version. But I think they were exacerbated by the fact mm. that it was audio. So yeah like i believe there will be a print version later in the year and i will definitely be buying it because i very much enjoyed the story i just feel like i still need to properly absorb it which feels silly so i've listened to it twice but yeah there's still parts i don't quite get yeah there are probably people listening to us talk about this who listen to audiobooks all the time they're like oh my god get over it (laughs) yeah exactly it's a learning curve guys it's a learning curve yeah it's like this this newfangled thing audiobooks Ooh. (laughs) Exactly. What? What is this? Um, Yeah, so the audiobook obviously starts off with Ventress and she's kind of our entry point for it. And like, it's interesting to have both of us talking about it because we both have very different relationships with that character because I knew basically nothing about her. So I was going in cold and this was my first experience of her story. Did you know at the least that she was like Dooku's apprentice? I knew that, yeah. But that was almost literally it. That was the limit of my knowledge. Yeah, and like the the vague outline of what might happen in Dark Disciple. Yeah, like I knew that that was going to be a romance between her and a Jedi. 
Yeah, so obviously while I went in with a very limited sphere of knowledge about the character, Kirsty, I believe you've watched all the Clone Wars, haven't you? So you obviously know the character quite well through that. Yeah, so the Clone Wars is kind of like the stuff in between these two books. So Dark Disciples, like, obviously based on episodes of the, the Clone Wars that didn't actually air towards the end. And this is like right at the beginning of her relationship with Dooku, which there's a lot of that in the Clone Wars, like how messed up that was and how much it shaped her life. He kind of ruined her life in lots of ways. Um, so I didn't expect this book. Was, obviously, I knew that Ventress was going to be in it to an extent, but it got really, me, me really emo about Ventress again. <laughs> like, yeah, she leads such a horrible, sad life and she was treated so badly. Yeah. Yeah, it just makes me all the more thankful for, for Dark Disciple. And I, I really liked it as a narrative device that we could like experience Dooku's life story through her exploring the holograms up until the time that it gets to the present day, right at the end, and we, we see the climax of that and his relationships with various characters coming to a head. Yep, no, 100%. And it was really interesting with Ventress to have that in a dialogue where she kind of had the voice of her former Jedi Master, Kai Narek, I think. Um, and yet he was sort of like the Jiminy Cricket to her Pinocchio, I guess. I know that's like a weird way of putting it, but just like he was her conscience, right? Yeah. Which I think is a really interesting notion because it's like, is he really there? And she was like exploring this idea, right? She was like, you're just a figment of my imagination. It's like, how much does that really matter if it is the case? Because it, it shows that there is still goodness in Asajj as well, which is really important. So... Like, did that come up at all in the Clone Wars? Like, the him like being a presence in her mind like that? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't remember that. So. No, it was really interesting. And, yeah, I liked the dynamic they had. Because otherwise, if it was just her, it would be a bit drier, I guess. So you really did need, like, a foil for her. And it was quite an imaginative way of handling that. Hmm. Like, the concept, like, is in the main thrust of the plot is that Dooku is after this woman, Jenza, who turns out to be his blood sister, and he basically gets Ventress to track her down. And to do that she starts going through these old like communications that Dooku sent to Jenza, as well as like other f- records like diaries and papers, all sorts of things. And like it was sometimes a bit confusing to track what was being read and like what it was originally intended for and stuff but after a while I just realised I'll give it up, that's not the point it doesn't matter that much Um, and that made my life much easier when I just let that go (laughs) Yeah, and you said that was quite a shocking way of dealing with it, right? Because obviously the, the whole thing about their relationship throughout those holograms is that once he finds her again, he feels this really strong connection with her and then he realises that she's his sister and that's why Yeah, and they form this almost forbidden relationship and that the Jedi are very much like you can't have familial attachments yes so he's in contact with her and they don't know and then suddenly they do and like they kind of compel him to make a choice about where he stands (laughs) I guess we're being full-on spoilery with this discussion yeah no it's going to be a full spoiler discussion which I should have actually stated at the beginning I'll make sure it's clear in the notes um so yeah we can go wild Basically, the whole reason that he's having Asajj track her down is so that she can be killed, right? Yeah, which is pretty grim. Yeah, because you wonder at the start, 
once you get into their relationship, you see how good Jenza is um, and how much Dooku cares about her. It's like, oh, wow, I feel really sympathetic towards Dooku, um, especially in contrast with how the Jedi are treating him and how mm. his his father, his biological father treats him and then says repeatedly, you're not my son. Yeah. Like he sent, sent him away. He, I think he calls him a freak at some point. Yep, he does. It's very like Harry Potter and the Dursleys. <laughs> if the Dursleys were like a royal family. <laughs> yeah. No, it's very like dysfunctional and twisted and messed up. And that whole dynamic with um, Dooku and Jenza is very weird because what you were describing, Kirsty, when you were talking about their relationship, it basically has like all the hallmarks of forbidden romance. Essentially, yeah. these like secret communications, like no one knows about this relationship. We have this intense forbidden connection, all this sort of stuff. It's obviously because they're siblings, but it's just like framed in a very peculiar way. And they even like make a joke basically between Dooku and Sifo Dias about like Dooku having a crush on her to begin with. But that's obviously because he doesn't understand what the connection is and he confuses it for romance. And yeah, I guess it's alluding to the whole Luke Leia thing. But it's like, Star Wars, when are we going to get over this like weird incest vibe? Well, I think it almost is because, yeah, it's like they didn't grow up together. Is it clear how old Dooku was when he was sent away? I got but the he impression seem- he was a baby. Yeah, he doesn't seem to have any memory of it. Um, so they don't know each other. But when he sees her and gets to know her, he's like, wow, I feel this affinity with this young woman why is that Mm. um and they never go full out of it it's kind of just there under the surface you don't have to acknowledge it if it makes you uncomfortable for understandable reasons but yeah that that whole joke with sifo sifo ds it's it's a bit strange and it kind of adds to all the layers of dysfunction in this in this novel yeah like (laughs) you really see how uh unnatural it is that the jedi are like no you can't be attached to your family and he's like, well, I care about her. Sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. there's nothing wrong with me sending her hollows. Exactly. Like, it really like, underlines how seriously messed up, like, the whole Jedi system is to take infants from their families in such a way and to basically rob them of any choice in that situation. So it's like, right, okay, we're taking you from your actual family now. You're never going to have any contact with them. And we're going to make you feel really guilty if you do. Yeah, exactly, because age was always very confusing to me when listening to this, because it was clearly an adult doing the voice all the way through, even when it was a young Dooku. Um, I get the impression, though, he was maybe meant to be, like, preteen, like, or very young, because he didn't have a master yet, so he was still a youngling. And, yeah, like, you, you treat an actual child like that, because of these completely natural feelings of affinity with a family member is just Mm -hmm. messed up yeah yeah it was all kinds of messed up this is a bit of a cliche but i think we both felt the same thing that when you're like following dooku through the training as a padawan again coming back to the harry potter thing it really did feel like this hogwarts thing with all like the jedi masters as professors and like confiscating items from him and yep them like talking about teachers and then them suddenly appearing yep (laughs) it was funny they basically had like forbidden books and like mysterious creatures locked up that the children discovered when they weren't meant to and yeah 
like it really did make me think we need like a full-on Harry Potter style like account of five years at the Jedi Academy following a specific group of characters I know it'd be like a basic rip-off but it would be great and yeah I'd read it yeah it did seem like that's what they were going for here like probably an easy um way to outline what they wanted from the the story yep um but of course Dooku doesn't go the same way as Harry Potter. He has this, like, dark ending. Yeah, it's more like a Tom Riddle sort of situation in some ways. Not quite as intense, but, yeah, like, similar vibes. You do feel a lot of sympathy for him because he's really not given the best chances. Like, it's interesting to kind of note, yes, he's very privileged and that he comes from this royal family, but at the same time, he's not at all because he's ripped away from them and then his father won't even acknowledge him as his son. Yeah. So how much does that privilege actually come into play? It's more about manifesting as like the weight of that legacy, which is again very Kylo. Yeah. Um like feeling this duty of having to return to his home planet, which was probably influenced by his disillusionment with the Jedi at that point anyway. Yes. But he was just like, yeah, I need to protect my people and be there for them. So I'm going to be on Sereno now as Count Dooku. Yeah. No, and it was very, um, like, striking, like, that whole dynamic that he had with his heritage and with the Jedi. So he clearly never f- truly felt like he belonged with either. Mm. And you always got that sense of displacement with him and desperately struggling to try and find out what, what it all meant and what his purpose was. And I feel that was really well done because by the end of it, I did find myself feeling very sympathetic towards him. And it was effective because then when he does make that decisive choice to like have Jenza killed, you're like, holy shit, that's really, really tragic because this is someone that early on you see so much goodness and so much potential in them. And yeah, if anything, my like issue was that it basically kind of jumps. So we go from seeing him like as the master to Qui-Gon and then there's like a revolt on Sereno and he makes the decision to leave the Jedi Order to go and assume his duties there. And then there's the jump from that to him wanting his sister dead. And you basically don't see his corruption by Sidious. I presume because they'd want to tell a different story about that at some point. Well, maybe yeah. it already exists and I've lost track. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, that was like oh man you know it made it hurt that much more because it felt more sudden I guess like there were obviously lots of there was lots of groundwork for his fall and his descent into darkness so it wasn't unexpected and we obviously know he's evil from the prequels but yeah it still hurt yeah I think you're right it makes you want that story that should come kind of in between where he's actually the ruler of Sereno um, but we we get those little hints like we have him first meeting Senator Palpatine and then there are these allusions to him talking to a hooded figure, right? Yes. Um, so it's like, okay, so what happens in between? Because that would be really interesting. Yeah. I'd want to see that seduction. Yeah, but I don't see that as like a, a negative of this book. It's just it wasn't the focus. Um, but hopefully it's a promise of that to come at some point. I don't think anything in, that covers that part of the story is, is there in current canon. So I think it's still fair game. Okay, nice. I'm sure that will come then at some point because, yeah, there's certainly interest in that relationship. Yeah, I thought there were some really interesting themes that kind of fit well into the sequel trilogy era of storytelling, even though this is a prequel era novel. Um, You know, stuff about Yoda saying the past must be left alone 
and and Dooku kind of wrestling with that issue as well, like whether he should break contact with his sister, and then ultimately deciding to do so in the worst way possible. And then stuff that alludes to kind of, I don't know how conscious this is, but also about Luke's responsibilities, like things like um, Dooku saying as a young person, the Jedi are supposed to protect the galaxy, and yet we remove ourselves from it, cut ourselves off. That seems like something that, that Ray could say to Luke, like, you know, what are you doing? We have this responsibility to be out there fighting against the First Order. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see these themes come up again and again throughout the eras. Yeah. Now you see lots of echoes and resonance across different time periods. And yeah, it was really well done and effective. Like, I'm not sure how conscious those sorts of illusions will have been. But I definitely felt that too. Particularly, again, in that climactic scene where Dooku orders Asajj to kill Genza. Um, so it does obviously recall like Snoke telling Kylo to kill Rey. And Asajj and Kylo both have to make choices in those moments, whether they obey their masters or whether they obey their own wills. And yeah, Kylo obviously makes a better choice than Asajj does in that moment. But in both cases, you can, you can completely understand why they reach that decision because Kylo obviously made that choice out of his feelings for Rey and his attachment to her. Whereas Asajj, she obviously didn't have any attachment to Genza and she needed or felt she needed this guide and this steer in Dooku at that point. So both pivotal decisions and different decisions, but you can completely understand the reasoning behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so in terms of like how messed up the Jedi are, let's talk about um, Eula Braylon and her secret baby, because what the fuck? This was a part of it that I almost missed entirely until I saw your notes. It was so random. At what point was that? That's the thing, I can't even tell you. It, it, just, it comes up because she gets expelled from the Jedi Council because of it, which... Yeah, it's just so many levels of messed up. Um, and I think it's just really used as another reason to distance Dooku from the Jedi and to make him be more and more over their shit, essentially. Because he's present when all this is coming out and he's talking to Yoda and the others about it. And like Dooku is basically saying something to the effect of, like, of course she didn't tell you. You know how you would have reacted. And then Yoda's like, monsters, we are not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, you would have been a model of compassion, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's just completely messed up. And it's so sad because the idea of that character is that she was a scout for new Jedi recruits. So she was missing for a mysterious nine-month pr- period in which she had a baby. Mm. And then she came back with the baby and she passed off as just a new initiate in the Jedi Order. And then oh. she appointed herself to, like, care of the younglings so she could be there and watch as her child grew up. That is how messed up this is. This is pure soap opera. I know. <laughs> oh my god. It's more soap opera than soap operas. Yeah. It does just show how messed up the Jedi Order is, like, which makes sense for what happens to them. But, my god, Yoda, get it together. Yeah, it really does underline that Luke is right. The Jedi do need to die. Well, I, I, I don't think so because I don't think that's the underlying message at the end of the Last Jedi. I think I, I don't need to evolve. Either. I'm being facetious. Well, well, I think that is an argument that's out there, 
Um, I, and I understand why, because it's like, well, yeah, look, they were really fucked up. Like, Luke goes into why. Mm, um, yeah. But ultimately, it, it doesn't mean that everything they did was a failure. It's just that they we do need to have this reflection on what those failures were and then move forward, which I think is what Ray's going to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Yoda could really do with some of that reflection. But I guess, in a way, he has, because he's the one talking about failure in The Last Jedi. And I don't think he's just talking about Luke's. He's talking about his own, too. Yeah. No. I'd like I to think, think he's being reasonable. introspective to a degree. Yes. As a force goes, he's had plenty of time. <laughs> he's got the whole world in his hands. Um, yeah, time isn't an issue for Yoda anymore. So, yeah, you damn well better start thinking about his life. Um, were there, like, any particular moments or characters that stood out to you as being favourites? Uh, I actually really enjoyed Qui-Gon, because we'd never really seen him as a young Padawan. Yes. Um it was kind of funny to have someone doing an approximation of Liam Neeson's <laughs> Northern Irish accent. It wasn't too bad. Yeah. It was just like, okay, I can see what they're going for. Yeah. Um, and I think it was a good primer for Master and Apprentice, which is what I'm going to read next. So, um, yeah, I mean, how long was Dooku actually his master? It didn't seem like very long at all. Yeah, like that part was one of the stranger parts to me and I didn't really have a finger on exactly when it took place or as you say, like, how long that even lasted for. Um, so I, I wasn't even sure, like, how old Qui-Gon was meant to be. Like, I thought, gosh, he sounds awfully old for a teenager. Yeah, because that was the thing. They were trying to be Liam Neeson, but Liam Neeson in The Phantom Menace is a fully grown man. So, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like, I didn't sound like this when I was, like, 12. <laughs> or at least I don't think I did. Like, they had the accent, but not as, like, a Northern Irish young young man. <laughs> Um, yeah it wasn't quite as well thought out as it perhaps could have been um but yeah like that was one of the aspects of the story that worked a bit less well for me so it did kind of feel like an afterthought because it has been established that Dooku was Qui-Gon's master so it kind of felt a bit like an obligation for them it's like oh we need to acknowledge this aspect of Dooku's life but I didn't feel like it added much like beyond just allowing a few other opportunities to show Dooku becoming more and more distant from the mainstream Jedi and being like ah what the hell. Well I really liked having Qui-Gon there to witness that because it was kind of funny like to you know the whole bit where he's like threatening that guy and then Qui-Gon's like what are you doing master you're going too far and then afterwards when they walked away Dooku was like oh it was great how you were playing the part of like the good cop Yeah, (laughs) he was like I wasn't playing I was really freaked out you seem to be Mm. going to the dark side. (laughs) And just, like, what it must feel like for Qui-Gon to see that from the person that he's supposed to be learning from. Yeah. That must have been pretty scary. Yeah. No, it's true. And, yeah, like, again, you can see how that informs, like, what Qui-Gon becomes. So, obviously, Qui-Gon does have a reputation for being unconventional and a bit of a maverick. And you can totally see Dooku's role in moulding him along those lines. Because obviously partially that's intrinsic to Qui-Gon himself. But Dooku was giving him some decidedly unconventional lessons. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, like Dooku's pretty much off the rails by the time he even gets Qui-Gon as a Padawan. So it's amazing that Qui-Gon came out of that as good as he was. Yeah, no, he's surprisingly well adjusted. Um, and it was also interesting to me how... Like Dooku, like everyone's always talking about his like natural refinement and his like cultured attitudes and his like taste and stuff. I wasn't 
clear on how much of that was like meant to be like intrinsic to him because he obviously has this blood of this great house of Sereno and how much of it was him like trying to like make himself full part of his bloodline because again as we've established it seems like he was taken from that family as a baby so it's Mm. not like he was ever brought up in that culture and he wasn't like exposed to it as a child so it's not quite clear how that works yeah I thought earlier on it was like he was supposed to have this naturally arrogant streak that people like Yoda would comment on Mm, Um, but then later on I think it does develop into almost a fixation on material wealth as well Mm. I think that's what it's supposed to be going for with him like oh well it's my castle now and if you look at like how Dooku presents himself in the prequels it's very grand isn't it yes um you can and that's about as far from the Jedi asceticism that you can get so I think that's supposed to be intentional yeah Um, but I don't think that's something that can be there from the beginning because how can it be like as a Padawan living at the training academy he wouldn't have had access to material things (laughs) yes no exactly so that's as you've pointed out it's clearly something that he developed when he became an adult and he had the means to establish that sort of lifestyle for himself more um so yeah it's interesting and i guess yeah it's just another way of driving home that distance i also thought it was very interesting how they handle his like leaving the jedi order because it wasn't as violent as i was expecting it seemed relatively good natured i wondered at that point if yoda was just glad to be getting rid of him (laughs) he was like okay well we won't stand in your way (laughs) bye-bye yeah exactly Put your P45 in the post. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I don't know, it's interesting at that point because it's like, does Yoda sense that he's going down this dark path? Because it's almost as if, if you did sense that, would you want him to stay further under your wing so that you could like address that and get it out of him? Mm. Or is it like, no, let's cut him off and cut our losses? Because it kind of comes back to bite them in the ass. Yeah, exactly. I really do get the impression that yeah, like you said, Yoda was just basically done with it. He clearly had no interest in trying to turn him round or change his mind. He was just like, eh, fine. Hmm. Like, yeah. So, not a good move. You'd, you'd think there might e- at least be some sort of, like, easing out process. But, no. They didn't even try. Yeah. Pretty grim. Um, <laughs> yeah. So basically the whole novel is like juicy and messed up and dramatic and there's some exciting crazy thing happening every five minutes basically so it's very difficult to get bored with it basically and it was very easy to listen to and engage in and so I would definitely recommend it it was interesting to go straight on to Jedi Lost after Queen's Shadow because they're such vastly different books yeah that was interesting like considering they're set in a pretty similar time frame obviously yes. Dooku is older than Padme but you know you've got Palpatine lurking in the shadows of both of them um yeah they're not too far apart but in terms of actual like narrative style very different characterization very different which makes sense you know Dooku and Padme are not the same people in <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> yeah but in terms of like the overall setting of like the nature of the conflict if you compare the way that the Jedi Order were go- going about things versus the way the Senate was going about things. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah, no, it really was. And 
yeah, I feel like this was sort of like the shot in the arm I needed for Star's Fiction. So yeah, it was good. Definitely would recommend. Me too. And I'm excited to see how this will feed into Master and Apprentice because I feel like they're going to be linked. So Yes, I've already started Master and Apprentice and I won't give anything away about that book, but I will say you will definitely see parallels and crossovers in terms of what's going on so yeah they they're very natural fits for each other basically awesome yeah i think i remember seeing an interview with kevin scott saying that he and claudia gray had like talked to each other about their stories as they were working on them which makes sense since he had overlapping characters Mm -hmm. so yeah no i think that probably reaped dividends because they felt very organic with each other so far cool Okay, cool. Um, So I think that brings us to an end. So I'm Rachel. You can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening and until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.